Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about imaginative self-care for skeptics. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of the vast ten-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings, placebo mages. Today, making meaning as a skeptical atheist. But first, thank you to our newest Patreon backers, Anna and Paz. And thank you to our patrons at the producer level or above, Alconet, Emily, Lana, Pugster, Red Rum Soda Pop, A Sociology of Tarot, Annie, Brianne, Carrie, Dev, Vanka, Gune, Tony, Valerie, Winter, and Zoe. All right, so like I said at the top of the show, today we're going to be talking about making meaning as a skeptic or, or an atheist or what have you. So this is the kind of a, a particular challenge that those of us, you know, who don't believe in a higher power face, because, you know, I'm thinking like when, you know, when I was a, a, a Christian, the the sort of sense of meaning and purpose came from above. It was like God was kind of the ultimate root of meaning or the ultimate source of meaning and purpose. And it all kind of, it, it's like a trickle down system, you know, it, 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 that you got your meaning and purpose through God. And when you wanted to find meaning in something that had happened, like, uh, I don't know, let's say you got into a car accident or you got cancer or something, and you want to find meaning in that, you have to kind of come up with some kind of a narrative that connects that event back to, you know, God's ultimate purpose and plan, right? So it's like, oh, well, maybe I was meant to face this challenge because it was going to teach me this thing or it was going to connect me with this person or whatever. You know, you're going to have some way of tracing the tracing it back. So I, I, I think of that type of meaning making as top-down meaning. It's kind of like a, like a mobile hanging from your ceiling where uh, it's ultimately attached to the ceiling in one place and then all the other pieces of it are kind of connected through you know kind of a hierarchical tree of uh of connections so you have these these kind of values of like you know of truth or or love or um chastity or or generosity or what have you they ultimately the reason that those values have meaning is because they connect back up to you know, higher values are ultimately up to, you know, God. And so when you are a, a you know, a skeptical atheist and you don't have that sort of ultimate source of meaning, then you're kind of, um, you have to find a, a different way of making life meaningful. And the way that I kind of prefer to do, rather than trying to substitute a different sort of top-down meaning, a different sort of like where, where you have some kind of ultimate value that you prize above all else, I think it's much better to have a bottom-up meaning or like a, a sort of trickle-up system where it's, it's, it functions more like an ecosystem of meaning rather than like a, a hierarchy. And this has a couple of different advantages. I think, first of all, it's, it's sort of easier to do or easier to accomplish because you don't have to have some kind of a philosophical superstructure holding your whole sense of meaning and identity and purpose together. It can just be, you know, a lot of smaller pieces that sort of um, naturally coalesce into a larger whole. 
you know, think of it as like like the the English language or any language for that matter. None of the individual words in the English language have meaning on their own. They have meaning in in sort of how they associate with the other words and with the way we use the words in the real world. So like there's not one word in the in the language from which all other words derive their meaning. You know, it's like uh, if we had a top-down meaning system in the English language, then there would have to be one sort of like primordial word. And then the, the definitions in the dictionary of uh, the other words would have to be defined in terms of that word or in terms of other words that have been defined in terms of that word as the kind of like a hierarchy. You know, it's like, okay, let's define the word I and then let's, you know, write a dictionary definition that defines a few other words that derive from that. You know, it, it that's not even, that doesn't make sense. It wouldn't be possible to, to derive a, a language that way, I don't think. And so... um it's not that our language is meaningless. It's not jibber jabber, you know, babble. It's it has meaning, but it has meaning through this kind of associative network, this kind of ecosystem of meaning, and that's what you can do when it comes to this sort of meaning of pur- meaning and purpose and like finding meaning in ordinary events and finding meaning in tragedy and things like that, without having to have some kind of an ultimate authority figure um, that is arbitrating what what is meaningful and what is purposeful and whatnot. So it, it's just a little easier because you can do this sort of piecemeal here and there, and then it all kind of slowly coalesces to add up to some to a meaningful life. Um, also, I think that this kind of bottom-up meaning is more resilient. If you have this kind of hierarchical meaning structure, then it's it's kind of fragile. You know, it's like because because of the you know the the meaning that you find in ordinary events, it's kind of like has to keep kind of finding its way up the hierarchy in terms of in order, in order to find meaning in it, you have to somehow trace it back to the sort of ultimate value of, you know, and my the example I've been using is God or God, uh, God's love or whatever. And so um, if you're not able to do that, or if, if, you know, something disrupts your life so much that you, you just can't uh, connect it, then it can be very scary. But when you're using this sort of bottom up more, um, associative meaning approach, then you don't have to make it all a cohesive whole. Uh, You know, you're not, you're not operating under this kind of hierarchical logic. You can just connect it to something and and find some kind of little piece of meaning in it. And then, and when you need to kind of rearrange your value system, like, like you've suddenly realized like, oh, I, I thought that loyalty was the most important thing in my life, but now I've realized that um, you know, there's some situations where justice is more important than loyalty or, you know, something like that, where you, where you have kind of realized that you're, you were too rigid in your philosophy and you need to rearrange it. It's much easier to rearrange it when it's not this kind of like rigid top-down hierarchical setup of, of meaning, but rather something more organic and, and sort of, a, um, you can just sort of change your mind more, um, adaptably. So let me kind of get a little more specific, because I think that I'm being too too vague here. Um, I want to talk about like how to make meaning using that kind of approach. So I'm going to give you a specific example of one way to do this, and it's certainly not the only way, and probably not necessarily the best way, but it's it's a way that has some certain advantages that you might want to check out. What you want to do is at first just start kind of making up completely arbitrary symbolism or just you know choosing arbitrary symbolism and what you want to do is 
take things that are sort of mundane and seem meaningless in your life, things like phenomena that you observe regularly, or um, just things that are, you know, regularly a part of your life, and you want to connect those to sort of broader themes and broader um, big picture elements of, you know, the human experience and of, of ethics and philosophy and stuff. So that as you go about your day-to-day life, rather than just seeing a bunch of random things happening around you that seem to have no, you know, no, no bigger picture uh, kind of meaning or purpose, you can start to sort of have a poetic symbolism there connecting these things together. So, you know, this is essentially a, a kind of a correspondence table, basically. I mean, it's, there's really not a, a much of a difference between a correspondence table that you might use for making, you know, like herbal potions or something compared to a, this sort of, this sort of associative meaning-making system. So here's, here's a great way to do this. Um, grab a stack of index cards. On each card, you want to jot down at the top of the card doesn't matter if you if you do portrait or landscape just pick one and stick with it um, at the top of the card write down the name of the card and it's going to be kind of just one sort of mundane phenomenon that occurs semi-often in your life what kind of phenomena you're going to choose is really going to depend completely on what what are the kind of the details that make up your life where you live what you do with your time what kinds of things you tend to notice so things that enter in your your sort of sphere of attention. So, you know, for instance, you might be really aware of the names of like, you know, bird species and mushrooms and other different kinds of wildlife. And so that might be something that kind of looms large in your attention as you go from point A to point B throughout your day. And so in your in your little index card deck, you might include a lot of cards that are named after specific bird species or specific mushrooms or what have you. Um, but on the other hand, your next door neighbor might have be, might be completely oblivious to the lives of birds, but might be, you know, kind of a, a, um, a people watcher. And, and so they might include cards that represent different sort of archetypes of, uh, of people, you know, the, the wise elder, the, the rebellious teen, you know. And so, you know, you want these phenomena to sort of match what you actually, what is the contents of your experience. So you can think about including um, dip cards for specific types of weather. You know, you have a rain card, a sunny day card. Uh, you might include cards for specific animals or plants or fungus or whatever, things that you can observe as you go about your day. Unpredictable events like traffic jams or chance meetings or illnesses, um, locations that you frequently visit or, or at least pass by. You know, you could use um, specific parks or bridges or intersections. You might include cards for specific colors, days of the week, seasons, lunar phases, holidays, and, um, you know, cards representing different types of people, infants, children, young adults, elders, rich, poor, um, conformists, rebels, you know, any kind of sort of archetypal representation of people, leaders. So let's say you're, a, you know, a really big gamer, you might include cards that represent sort of phenomena from games, like, um, you know, a card that represents, you know, 100%ing a game or, or a card that represents, you know, leveling up or something. Likewise, if you're really deep into specific fandoms, you might include phenomena from those fandoms, like a red lightsaber card or something. So anyway, on each card, you know, at the top, you write the name of the card. On the bottom, 
write two or three different thematic associations of the card. So for instance, you might have a traffic jam card and you might choose themes like uh, cr creative block, feeling stuck, wasted time. Uh, you might include, you know, like frustration or rage or something like that. For a card that represents infants, you might choose, you know, new beginnings or nurturing or helplessness. And so you can kind of go through your cards and, and jot down these uh, couple of thematic associations in each one. And so um, how do you actually use these cards? Well, the reason I, I ha had you put them on index cards rather than in sort of like a, you know, a, ta a correspondence table or a spreadsheet or something like that. And that's certainly another way you can do this. But the, the advantage of having cards is then you can shuffle them and deal them and use them exactly as you would tarot cards. But this has a particular advantage over reading tarot, which is that these cards that you've created are phenomena that you experience in your day-to-day -day life. So if you're doing a, a divination session with these cards, you know, at your altar or whatever, then um, you can just kind of treat it similarly to how you would treat a tarot reading session. However, that's going to effectively function as like practice or rehearsal for making meaning throughout your day-to-day -day life. You're take you're trying to like assign some kind of deeper, deeper purpose and meaning to the the kind of um coincidental coincidental combinations of these phenomena. So like, oh, I I have the the traffic jam card in this spread, and I also have the thunderstorm card. What does it mean when a traffic jam and a thunderstorm coincide symbolically. You know, what, what happens when you combine those thematic associations? And then you kind of, you know, how are you fitting that into the, the specific spread that you have and the specific location of the traffic jam, you know, all that stuff. And so you can take that same, the same, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to keep developing that symbolism through application, through actually using it to kind of find meaning in ordinary things. And then you can kind of take that through into your day-to-day -day life in order to continue to develop that. Yeah, and you know, as you're creating this sort of like uh this sort of pokedex of of meaning, you can you, you don't have to make all this stuff up from, from scratch obviously. So like we already have all of these different meaning systems in our lives and you can borrow from the ones that you're already using. So if you are somebody who is into tarot, you know, you can use some of the same same kinds of associations of symbolism or you know not just tarot but all kinds of there's all kinds of symbol systems in um occultism that you might want to use if you're especially if you're already have been using those you know symbols with particular animals or plants or you know um times in the wheel of the year you can kind of you know utilize all those anyway you're not starting from scratch and and you know you're taking you want to rope in all the all the meaning that you already have been making in your life into this kind of system. And you can keep evolving this deck of cards over time. So, you know, there's going to be some cards that may no longer be relevant. You know, like when I was a kid, I lived in an area that had traffic jams. And now I live in an area that never has traffic jams. And so it wouldn't really add much to my life to be thinking about like what does a traffic jam symbolize when it's something that hardly ever ever comes up you know the only time it comes up is if i it happens in a tv show or a movie or something or if i'm maybe if i'm traveling but i don't travel much either so you know you can kind of 
continue to evolve this sort of meaning decks with your as your life evolves and so you know you have big life changes changes in your job changes in your family structure changes in where you live changes in your health all of those things and you can kind of create new cards and and, and retire cards as you go and, and you can also continue to evolve the the meanings you know there's no reason you have to kind of stick to the meanings that are on these cards when you're kind of trying to interpret events but they kind of you know the cards can help to serve as like a, a sort of a spark sparking your intuition you know your brain is basically like a, a, a mostly associative memory kind of system so as you work with these cards you're really just kind of strengthening connections between different concepts in your in your brain so that as you're walking around you see a you know a squirrel you think oh that's that symbolizes you know preparation so i better remember to um that i need to be prepared for my upcoming trip you know because you see and thinking about you see a squirrel gathering nuts for winter right so um one problem that i think is pretty common is that you know if you are you know a dyed in the wool believer in the supernatural then um these kind of this kind of meaning that you find in ordinary events has a sort of authority to it and it's like look at all these coincidences that all aligned that have this you know this thing in common that that I think this must be Thor telling me that I need to break up with my boyfriend or something. And it's like because the information that your brain is picking up doesn't seem to be coming from your brain. It seems to be coming from outside of you. It seems more authoritative. And so, you know, it's easier to put your trust in that, ironically. Whereas if you know that it's kind of coming from your own brain, that you're just sort of making up arbitrary symbolism and meaning behind things, it can be a little hard to take that seriously. And I think there's there's no magic solution to that, to get around that. I think it's, you know, ultimately it is a little bit disappointing that in the grand scheme of things, like the universe, as far as we know, doesn't really care about us. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, uh, there's nobody writing this story. We're just in, in it, you know, and, and so I, there's not, there's not like something I can tell you that's going to make that necessarily go away except to say that you know if you have have lost your faith in in god or in just the supernatural in general or what have you or in this kind of more grand purpose in the universe don't worry about trying to build that back or substitute something instead just focus on these little things focus on meaning on the small scale and then you know you can kind of gradually build back up to having your life be meaningful and purposeful but without that sort of fragile dependence on on um, a, a supernatural belief. It's just something that you kind of have to trust the process to know that like it is possible to find meaning without believing in that stuff. And lots of people do it all the time. And it may seem like the universe is like objectively meaningless, but meaning or meaninglessness are both subjective concepts. You know, there is... There's no meaninglessness in the uh, sort of like um, objective uh, universe either. There's no meaning or meaninglessness. It's just is what it is. And so if if you feel a sense of of existential dread and meaninglessness, that is just a phenomenon of your own brain, you know. And um, lots of people out there don't believe in a higher power. Don't believe in um, some kind of orchestrated purpose to the universe but but still find meaning in their day-to-day -day lives and in the you know in the beauty of the small things 
and that that kind of gradually can can build on itself until you you have do have like a grander sense of purpose. So let's talk about a few other specific ways that you can practice meaning making. So, you know, we had talked about practicing divination. That's an excellent way to do it. And, you know, it, it certainly provides an advantage to be using the same sort of symbols in your divination as you are seeing in your day-to-day life. But it's not necessary. You're still going to get some, you're still going to kind of build that meaning-making muscle, even if you're, even if the symbols on your cards don't match things that you interact with in your day-to-day life. Likewise, you can practice meaning-making by trying to find meaning in your, you know, your favorite movies and TV shows and literature and games and things like that. And, the, you know, the key thing here is that it's okay if it was not intended by the author. And the reason this is so key is because that translates kind of directly to the fact that we're trying to make meaning out in our day-to-day lives without having this sort of authorial God orchestrating everything, right? It's okay if the meaning that you find in your day-to-day life did not have authorial intent behind it, right? And so when you're when you're watching, you know, your your Star Wars or whatever and you find some kind of really interesting poetic symbolism, it's okay if that was not intentionally placed by the people who created it. The the important thing is that you're finding that meaning and you're getting something out of it and that it's helping to, you know, spark some kind of interesting insight or philosophical discourse in your in your brain. And um I think it's a, it's also just a, has, you know, you can practice divination that way. It also has the beneficial side effect of making the that media quite a bit more enjoyable to you especially the the um i mean for me i'm you know i'm a big star wars fan but obviously not all star wars is are equally quality in terms of just kind of looking at it as like a film critic or whatever but i get a lot of joy out of looking at some of the the, the more shoddy entries and trying to find deeper you know meaning behind them and trying to kind of have this poet find this poetic symbolism you know it brings me a lot of joy and helps me to appreciate those entries more and then it's also you know it's good practice for when things happen in life that feel completely senseless and horrible and and like why why could this ever happen like and if i believed in god i would say you know god why would you ever let this happen to me it's not fair that's it's good practice for being able to deal with those kinds of events and try to find some kind of a okay like a silver lining or some kind of an opportunity for purposeful action within that event you know whether that's like an an unfortunately timed illness or a breakup or or whatever you know interpreting your your you know your your literature and your movies and stories is a great it's a great like playground atmosphere you know it's like your your play acting uh, making meaning out of tragedy by making meaning out of fictional tragedies and and tragically, you know, mediocre films and things like that. So we're going to continue this discussion about ways of practicing meaning making, but we're going to do so on the other side of the segment break. And now it's time for Secret Spells and Riddlesome Rituals. Today turning a meandering walk into a form of divination. All right, so this is kind of an idea for a ritual that I had that um, is, it's kind of like an, a, a sort of very uh, foundational way of practicing making meaning. 
And this is something I, I call walking divination. So here's the idea is that you, you're going to take a walk and you're going to sort of, you know, walk in your, you know, your general neck of the woods, but you're going to sort of meander, you know, you're going to, you're going to just go with your instinct as far as like which way you're going to turn at different intersections and stuff and just sort of wander around your neighborhood. Um, or if you, you know, if you don't live in a place you can do that, maybe go to a, you know, a trail system or a neighborhood or whatever, somewhere where you can do that kind of meandering walking. And all you're really going to do is just treat everything that you see during your walk as being infused with meaning. Imagine that there was a higher power who was trying to communicate with you through your walk and through the things that you notice and observe during your walk and things that happen to you during your walk and try to hear that message. Basically, they're going to they're going to speak to you through, you know, symbolism. And so, you know, if you do have, uh, you know, your kind of uh, imaginary friend, placebo deities or, or saints or what have you, you can invoke them beforehand and say, hey, you know, so-and-so, uh, please, you know, tell me what to do about my job, whether I should quit my job or tell me what to do about such and such uh, friendship that's been a problem lately or whatever. And then you can kind of look for an answer to that question that that character, that figure is sending you through this symbolism, or you can just say, okay, just give me some helpful insight or some helpful wisdom or something, right? So you're going to take a walk and, and you're going to look, look for things that just stand out in your attention. So, you know, particular birds, particular interesting looking people that come, that pass you, strange, you know, vehicles or strange, uh, whatever, you know, if it starts to rain or the weather changes or there's interesting cloud shapes or really you can you can use anything for interpretation but um part of the reason that i suggested when i was talking about making these cards i suggested using things that you tend to see in your day-to-day -day life these are the perfect uh things to look for right look for the things that you put on these cards you're going to end up with this kind of random coincidental arrangement of some of these things so it's like oh well it started to rain while I was on the bridge and there was a bus passing by. What does that mean? Well, a bridge symbolizes, you know, making connections between um, two different people or two different groups. Okay. And then rain symbolizes, you know, uh, a clen cleansing and a bus symbolizes, you know, the, the collective, the good of the collective or something like that, you know. And then you could interpret that as being like, oh, well, maybe I need to um, help to reconcile these two different uh, factions within my within my family or my workplace or whatever that have that have uh, had some tension between them. So it's like pure, the, taking the, the purification element of rain the, or cleansing and the bridging and the and the collective good, you know, so you kind of combine these different symbolism and by kind of pre seeding those in the in the form of those cards by by kind of putting some some um preparation ahead of time into sort of creating those associations or strengthening them by making those cards then it just gives you something to go off of so it doesn't feel like you're going completely from scratch in terms of uh, as you're looking around for for meaning in your environment during the walk now that doesn't mean you have to stick to what's on the cards or you have to stick to the meanings that are on the cards you can just freestyle it but having some of those cards will give you a good uh, kind of jumping off point for things to look for. And, you know, if you do make these cards or, or a correspondence table or something like that, 
you know, you can tailor it to this specific walking divination technique where you can say, I'm going to make cards specifically for all these different things that I tend to see on my walks, you know, children playing in a playground, robins, uh, worms on the sidewalk. And then that that will kind of heighten that, this specific uh, walking divination activity. So I want to wrap up by talking a little bit about like, why would you bother to make meaning? Um, why, why not just, just forget about this whole thing? It, and I think there's two reasons. The, the first is that it just makes life richer. It's like, um, I, I think a lot about the example of like color saturation or, or the metaphor of color saturation. It's like adding meaning to seemingly mundane things. It's like taking your, your life from grayscale to technicolor. You know, it's like the Wizard of Oz uh, when they go from Kansas to Oz. It's it's just like you know it's it's a kind of a, a way of re-enchanting the world by you you can look around you and where someone else might just see you know a school bus and, and a rainstorm you might see something kind of more profoundly symbolic and it doesn't have to be intended by any higher power as a message for you it can just be something that you decided what it means. The other uh, huge benefit of meaning making is I think it just it helps a lot with psychological resilience especially this kind of bottom-up meaning-making that um, there's no specific part of your meaning system that can be, that can unravel un, uh, the entire thing. And so if you, you know, you, you identify really strongly as, a, I don't know, a firefighter, and then you have an accident, that means you can no longer do that kind of work and you have to reconfigure your identity. It's like your whole meaning system is not hinging on one thing. And so you can kind of re rearrange it. And if you've been practicing meaning-making, in these sort of smaller ways of just like kind of finding poetic symbolism in the ordinary every day, um, that practice is going to pay off when you have these kind of, you know, tragedy strikes and, and things feel meaningless. You've, you have this muscle that you've built that knows how to sort of put these disparate pieces together when things have been shattered and find some, some new kind of meaning. And you can just kind of roll with the punches and you're not, you know, you don't, your life doesn't have to proceed a, all according to plan for you to feel like it's going okay, as long as you're able to make meaning from it. You know, I think a lot about the phrase, it was meant to be, or God meant for this to happen. You know, as an atheist, I don't believe that things happen because some higher power meant for them to happen. However, I can do that meaning myself, rather than God meaning for something to happen, I can make meaning out of something. And then, in a, in a sense, that thing is meant then, you know, it's like, if if something happens and then I make meaning out of it either right away or in or years later in hindsight, that's basically what people mean when they say that something was meant to happen. What they're saying is this thing happened and I was able to find meaning in it. Therefore, God must have put that meaning there, right? Whereas for me as a skeptic, it's like, well, so this thing happened. I found a way to find meaning in it, and in that sense, it was meant. You know, or or it is meant now. <laughs> if that if it's a little grammatically confusing, but I think you probably get the gist of what I'm saying is that rather than God being the one who pours meaning into something and and kind of blesses it and say this officially counts as being meaningful because I am God, if we recognize like oh meaning is a is a thing that that exists within the human brain, not within like the cosmos as a whole, then we're the arbiters of what's meaningful ultimately if it feels meaningful then it is by definition you know it's tautologically the case that if it feels meaningful then it is meaningful right so 
you don't have to worry about whether that something was meant by a higher power. If you found meaning in it, then it is meant. So if you are able to practice that in ordinary life with kind of mundane things, then you, you build that muscle and then it's going to be a little bit easier to deal with the things that kind of shatter your world. You can find the Placebo Magic Podcast and my poetry on the web at garrisonbenson.com. Leave a voicemail for the show by calling 989-318-4118. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical. <laughs>